from the heart of flyover country. He's not on the far right, and he's certainly not on the far left. Like you, he's somewhere in the middle. This is Dale Carter's America. Well, it's week seven of our uh, podcast. Thanks for joining here and uh, listening to all the episodes. You can go back, of course, and start at episode one and, and go all the way through. And and I think the thing is, is kind of evolving. I am Dale Carter. Kurt Wheeler is with me when you say that we're evolving. Every day, every day, Dale. Yeah, every week. Onward and upward. So, and again, if you have any uh, comments or corrections or just anything you want to say, I always look forward to your email at dalec at kfkf.com. Uh, we have a very special guest on the podcast today. If you're living in the Kansas City area, you may have heard of Hero Fund USA. It is a, a local organization, and their mission is to um, help first responders. They're there in the event of a first responder death or a serious critical injury. Uh, they're also there for the agencies around the Kansas City area uh, to provide equipment that their cities and governments can't provide for them. Daryl Smith is the guy who founded it, and he's going to be my special guest. They have a lot of events coming up that we're going to be talking about and just talking about the mission of what Hero Fund USA is all about. Uh, But as always, we're going to start with some headlines in the news and kind of talk about those things and comment on them. And uh, first up in the news was Donald Trump's coming back party. He was at uh, CPAC uh, down in Orlando, Florida, and he came out, gave his big speech yesterday. Now, you haven't had a chance to see that yet. No, I haven't, unfortunately. Well, you know, he was classic Donald Trump, for sure. He said some things that I really liked and some things I'm a little concerned about. And I know that there are people out there who love Donald Trump, love him, want to see him run in 2024. And there are other people out there who want to see somebody else emerge on the conservative side. I think that's where I am on this. I'd like to see somebody else uh, emerge and take the mantle. What Donald Trump said that I really liked, because my concern, Kurt, was that um, he was going to launch a third party. Right, right. And he flat said that is not going to happen. Well, that's good. He said if he runs, he's going to run within the Republican Party. You know, they kept saying he's going to start a brand new party. We have the Republican Party. It's going to unite and be stronger than ever before. I am not starting a new party. That was fake news. But then, you know, he took shots at people who've taken shots at him. Under the banner of we need to unify the Republican Party, he took shots at uh, Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, all those folks. And I just don't know that that's the message we want coming out of that. I think what we need to come out with is, hey, look what Joe Biden's doing over here. These policies are terrible for the future of the country. And I think Donald Trump sometimes comes off as a distraction. Well, I think both things can be true. Obviously, we should be focusing on our common goals and our our shared values and things like that. Um, We've talked about this before as far as the impeachment hearing goes, but... I mean, obviously, it's case by case, but I mean, somebody like Mitt Romney, for example, I think does deserve some criticism, even if even if it's done in in a sort of insensitive way. You know, maybe the the Trump stand up routine against Mitt Romney isn't the worst thing in the world. Well, but. I get that it's it's you know it's entertainment value for sure, right? But we went through four years of entertainment value, and I think when all is said and done, and the dust settled. Even though African Americans voted in record numbers for Donald Trump, Hispanic Americans voted in record numbers for him, where he lost was in the suburbs. 
And that was people who said, you know, I'm a little tired of the act and, and maybe it's time to move on. That's where I come from on that. Um, he did give a rousing speech at CPAC and, uh, he, I'm sure he'll have a voice in who the next nominee is. Um, I just, my own personal view is I just hope it's, it's, it's somebody other than Donald Trump in 2024. Well, I certainly wouldn't expect him to change. You know, I, I think that's a, not a realistic goal, you know, to expect him to um, moderate sort of his uh, his tone. And uh, I mean, I half agree with you. I think that we're going to have a lot of candidates in the primary in 2024, just like we did last time around in 2016. And uh, I think there's going to be some great candidates. You know, I think, I mean, I, I don't want to speculate right now. It's way too early to tell, right. but... I'm sure that there will be other candidates that I would be willing to support and maybe might even vote for over Donald Trump in the primary. But at the end of the day, if I vote for somebody else and he gets the the nomination, then I'm going to support him. Well, I will, too, Uh, because when you look at the policies that are being put in place right now by Joe Biden versus the policies, and I can separate that. I can separate the policies of Donald Trump versus the carnival that came along with him. Uh, And before I get hate mail on that, I mean, you know, it was kind of a carnival atmosphere, but I can separate what he did versus what he was saying and just that atmosphere that goes along with it. Hopefully you can as well. Yeah. And I I would say, you know, there's, it it really depends because I I do think that some of his sort of carnival-esque rhetoric was very, it had its place. I mean, the, the way that he called out the media was unlike anything anybody else could have done. Like nobody would have done anything like that. And I, I think that was useful and frankly hilarious. You know, I don't think there's anything wrong with having a president that is hilarious and off the cuff, you know, and, and that's obviously granted that he also said a lot of stupid things on Twitter and at in speeches and, and things like that. You know, I'm not, I'm not denying that of course, mm-hmm. of course, but he, he's a unique figure and a very, charismatic figure and and i think that that's one of the reasons that people are are gravitated toward him and you know when i waited to say this until it was uh confirmed you know through the through the senate that biden had the electoral votes to to win the presidency my first thought was when is trump going back to the wwe that's what i want to see (laughs) well and you you may recall you know when he ran uh, with all of those people in 2016 I mean, you know, everybody uh, talks about what he says about Joe Biden, sleepy Joe Biden, you know, crazy Bernie Sanders. I mean, he was making fun of Republicans oh, yeah. in the primaries, yeah. you know, lying Ted Cruz. Right. And, you know, that's one of the reasons that if you go back to episode one of this podcast, my five principles, uh, number one is very clearly tell the truth. And number two is we're not going to call names. I mean, I'm not going to call anybody a name. We're going to stick to the policies and we're going to talk about what we believe in. So. That's where Donald Trump is. We'll see where that goes moving forward. Meanwhile, we do have another president in there now. His name is Joe Biden. And uh, last week, um, as far as we know, his first military strike, it happened in eastern Syria in uh, response to what uh, the Iraqi-backed folks were doing over there. It was really interesting, you know, because he got a lot of heat from Democrats on that. And and you may have also heard uh, the groundswell of maybe it's time to take away Uh, the president's unilateral authority to launch nuclear weapons. They were trying to get that done with Trump. Frankly, I thought there was a two-man or two-person system on that, uh, but there's not. For whatever reason, maybe I saw it in a movie somewhere that the Secretary of Defense had to sign off on 
you know, launching nuclear weapons. But that's not true. It's the president's call alone on whether to send nuclear weapons out. And there are some folks who were nervous when Donald Trump had the switch. And there are people, some of them Democrats, who are nervous that Joe Biden has the switch. Well, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, didn't Nancy Pelosi and some other Democrats co-sign a letter to Biden? I believe it was last week they they signed and sent a letter to Biden requesting that he... uh, you know, transition over the nuclear launch codes to House Democrats. Well, and that's not going to happen. Presidents are going to, you know, whether it's a Democrat with a Democrat House or Republican with a Republican House, presidents are going to guard their prerogative at every step of the way. And and I don't see Joe Biden giving that up. Although it was funny, I saw Jane Harmon over the weekend on um, this week with uh, Chris Wallace, and she talked about how when Joe Biden was chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, he would have been the first one out there on the floor saying, you know, the president needs to give us more warning before we're launching attacks into foreign countries. And um, he probably would have been on board with taking away that unilateral authority for launching from the president. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. Well, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, To be continued on that, but uh, we definitely got the first military strike. And picking up really on the Obama policy, I don't think you could look at the four years of Donald Trump. What he was trying to do was bring our troops home. You know, the eight years of Barack Obama were like, you know, it was a drone fest. Right. He bombed more countries than we bombed since World War II. Oh, yeah. So we'll see where that goes. Also from the White House, the $1.9 trillion COVID relief package has made its way through the House of Representatives. The House also voted, and it was a very slim majority. I think it was five votes total, the majority. They got a couple of Republicans to cross over, uh, and they lost a couple of Democrats. But that package with the minimum wage is on its way to the Senate. It won't come out of the Senate that way. The parliamentarian there who is nonpartisan basically said that uh, the minimum wage attachment to that bill breaks the rules, so there will be no $15 minimum wage that's going to come out of this process. They're going to try and and get that done. But my goodness, I mean, you know, you can argue either way, the $1,400 checks coming to families, you know, $1,400 to people making seventy five grand or less or $150,000 or less if you're a married couple, I, you know, I guess you could make an argument for that one way or the other, but there's so much pork in this thing. Well, sure. I mean, yeah, like you said, you can make an argument one way or another against any of the specifics in the package, but I don't think they're getting the memo every time that this gets shut down in the Senate or, you know, doesn't make it out of the House. Instead of making a smaller bill that addresses a single issue that they know they can pass, they just make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and have these omnibus bills. You know, I don't think and we've talked about this a little bit before, but I, I don't think that's how this should operate. You know, they should have a specific bill for the stimulus check. They should have a specific bill for sending out PPE or distributing vaccines or whatever else is in it, you know. But, I mean, I, I haven't even had the chance to to read through it yet, to be honest. And Neither I have they. I, yeah, well, no, yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I don't think anyone's really reading this stuff. You know, we're just told what's in it and they're told what's in it and then they're expected to vote one way or another i mean the last one from a couple months ago they had i think like six hours or something it the the senate did to to vote on it you know they they, it's like a two thousand page bill you get it you have six hours to read it which nobody's gonna do well i'll tell you the other ironic thing about it is there's so much money from the last um covid relief package that still hasn't been spent Mm. And a lot of this money goes out to like 2025. 
I mean, it's not about the current emergency going on. And as far as the current emergency goes, you know, Democrats typically don't like to let a crisis go without, you know, manipulating it and capitalizing on it. Right. And that's what they're doing here. Uh, but uh, every day that ticks by, more and more people are being vaccinated. Uh, kids are going to be going back to school. People are going to be going back to work. We are coming out of this thing. Um, the economy is rebounding. We're coming out of this thing. So that's something else to keep in mind as they look at the $1.9 trillion package with a uh, debt right now hanging over us at $27 trillion. And that number is going up exponentially. And, you know, interest rates are going up again. Inflation is starting to go up again. I mean, you know, so all things to keep an eye on. When we're talking about the $15 minimum wage, I did see this in the news today. Costco is unilaterally moving their starting wage from $15 an hour where it is right now. They're going to go up to $16 an hour. Uh, But their CEO uh, made an interesting statement. He said while there's a lot of external focus on the minimum wage, he made the case it's important for their employees to make more than just $15 or $16 an hour. He added that Costco employees get pay increases based on hours worked, with full-time employees seeing two pay bumps per year, Part-timers get one pay increase every year. Those bumps occur until employees reach the top of Costco's scale, which also increases every year. When I hear Democrats going around saying, "There's, I mean, we haven't raised the minimum wage in so long, and there's just no way that you can live on the minimum wage, I'll get back to what I've said before. I don't think anybody is is saying you should live on the minimum wage. It's a training wage to get your foot in the door, and where you go depends on your ambition to work, your education level, your training, and all that. Where you live. Well, that's true. The cost of living, you know, the cost of food, all these different things, which, by the way, will go up if you increase the minimum wage. Right. So, So, I mean, if if I were living in a world where I were the benevolent dictator, first of all, it would be a great world. (laughs) It really would. Um, I would just, I'd take the minimum wage out. I mean, what's yeah. the point? Yeah. Let's let's let the market decide. Before COVID, when we were at essentially full employment, think about this: employers were like begging people to come to work for them. Mm-hmm. There mm-hmm. was a competition for workers, mm-hmm. and you want that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Totally. That's the economy working. When government steps in and says, you know, with no economic factors to back this up, we're just going to throw a dart and mm-hmm. we're going to double the minimum wage. That's crazy. Moving on, um, Andrew Cuomo was also in the news uh, again. You know, we've talked about Andrew Cuomo and his handling of the the nursing home residents there in New York, the death toll there, uh, the fact that even Democrats are starting to try and take away his authority. There's impeachment talk as well. On top of that, um, now we're finding out that, at least if you're watching Fox News or reading the newspaper in New York, maybe not on ABC, CBS Uh, NBC, CNN, or MSNBC, you're you're not hearing about uh, these women who are coming forward saying the guy's basically a lech. Mm -hmm. I'd say certainly my biggest concern with Cuomo is his uh, drastic mishandling of the pandemic and purposely sending people back to nursing homes, lying about the numbers and things like that. I think, you know, this new stuff, we'll kind of see you know, it's really hard to tell these days, man. It's, you know, there's so many allegations that come out against people. You know, we had the whole Brett Kavanaugh fiasco. We had allegations against Trump that never went anywhere. We had an allegation against Biden, you know, that he reached up somebody's skirt in the hallway when he was in the Senate, you know, so 
Uh, not saying that I don't believe it or that I do believe it. I just would like to know more. I would like to yeah. have more information. Well, and certainly, I'm not as concerned about that on, on a public policy or on a political level as I am his actual actions as governor um, that have arguably, I mean, led to thousands of people dying in, well, in that's New York. True. You know, so. And President Biden at one point referred to Cuomo as the gold standard for how to deal with uh, COVID-19. Right. Uh, but also, I mean, you know, with sexual harassment, the guy is the chief executive officer of New York State. And, you know, if he was doing that kind of thing, I think that ought to come to light. And oh, then yeah, sure, sure. you contrast that with women in particular, like Hillary Clinton, mm-hmm. like Amy Klobuchar, you know, like Nancy Pelosi, who went after Brett Kavanaugh like a pack of wild dogs right. over allegations that allegedly happened when he went to a party in high school. Right. Allegations that were completely unsubstantiated. Right. And, and then on top of that, they added more allegations that were even more uns- unsubstantiated right. about, you know, gang rape and all these other yeah. things. And it's just it gets out of hand. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I agree with you. If whatever's going on, you know, with these allegations against Cuomo, we need more information. People should come forward. People should feel comfortable coming forward. And there's a process. You know, there's a process where we investigate. We figure out what the evidence is, what the evidence uh, is not. And we figure out the truth, you know. So I, I just I try not to jump to conclusions with all. Well, this I'm not stuff. jumping and, to conclusions either. I'm just yeah. talking about the hypocrisy involved here. Right. And if you go back to when Bill Clinton was president, when he was running for president, when allegations about him came out, right? You know, um, instead of like going after him like a pack of wild dogs, you had uh, people on his team saying, if you drag a hundred dollars through a trailer park, you never know what you're going to get. Right. So they basically <laughs> attacked the victims. Right. That's what they did. So we'll see what happens out of that. But right now, from the people who were so adamant about Brett Kavanaugh with allegations not proven from when he was in high school, this is stuff that's fresh. I mean, this is this is stuff that's within, what, the last year or right. so. Um, the crickets are coming out, and we'll see if that continues. And, and I'm not saying that you're doing this, because I don't think you are, but I do see some of this with the... Um, you know, sexual misconduct allegations. It it seems to be used as a political tool. So we saw that obviously on the left with the Brett Kavanaugh situation. And I think, you know, there are some people that are doing that on the right now with, with Cuomo. You have an allegation that comes out and then it's immediately, oh, look at this guy. He's a pig. He's, you know, abusing women and stuff like that. Maybe it's true. Maybe it's true. I don't know. I'm just saying that there does seem to be sort of a double standard sometimes when, you know, you might be, uh, not you again, but just the, the broader you, you yeah. might be willing to ignore allegations against Donald Trump because you like Donald Trump. And then you're going to jump on allegations against Cuomo because you don't like Cuomo. Again, let's see what happens. Let's see what the information is. But the more important thing by far to me is how he's acted as governor and his actions as governor, which are terrible. Well, so, and hypocrisy. There's plenty there. We don't, yeah. you know, we don't, yeah. we don't need the other stuff to, to get this guy out. You know, we yeah. have plenty already. Hypocrisy is what I talk about a lot in the hypocrisy and in, in what they're saying on the other side and then how it's being covered in the news or not covered in the news. Right. They've circled the wagons, even though this is the biggest story in New York right now, uh, they've circled the wagons on the major networks. Okay, moving right along to this. Um, next week on the podcast, we're gonna. I, I have uh, taken this PC cancel culture drip, drip, drip. It's been dripping, dripping, dripping for a while. We're gonna open the fire hose next week, and I am gonna take it to its 
ridiculous logical conclusion. I mean, why stop here when you've got all this? And we're going to talk about that next week. Uh, but a couple of interesting stories just in the last week. Uh, it came out that Coke had a training video for their employees. And the goal of that training video was for them to be less white. You know, just realize you've got white privilege and and dial that down. Yeah, I mean, where to start on this, Dale? Uh, it's it's just... Uh... I don't know. What are, what are your well, thoughts? Well, let's let's start here because it was nearly um, 60 years ago that Martin Luther King Jr. stood on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and uttered these words. I have a dream. My poor little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin but by the content of their character. I have a dream. Now, as, as we examine those words, okay, content of character, not color of skin, what would Martin Luther King Jr. think about the lack of progress we've made? I thought we were making great progress for a while, and at some point we took a turn, and, and now I, I think we've gone backwards. I'm really not sure, man. You know, this, this might be an unpopular opinion. I'm not sure how MLK would feel today. I, I think the time is a lot different, you know. It's possible that he would be part of this, you know, kind of woke, racial obsessed movement as well. I mean, I, who knows? He uh, might but, have been. You know, when we had the the cop who um, basically kneeled on the guy in Minneapolis, I think he would have been all over that. And again, uh, my hope is he would have taken it like, you know, let's let's get the bad apples, the bad actors out of cops. Cops necessarily aren't bad, but but let's get the bad actors out. Maybe he wouldn't have. I don't know. But I go back to the language in that, and and that to me is hopeful language of what the future ought to look like. And when I see stuff like this, it's like it's crazy to me. Oh yeah, I mean they're they're not hiding the ball anymore. I think, and this so this uh, program for Coca Cola, you know their whiteness training, racial consciousness, whatever you want to call it. I've gone through some things like this myself. Um, in other capacities, which I'm not going to get into right now, but, uh, it's real bad, man. You know, I mean, they're, they're bringing back segregation. They're bringing back racism. That's what this is. It's racism. It's saying, if you're white, you suck. You're the cause of all the problems in this country. It's BS. It's total BS. And it's racist. And the, the person who, uh, designed and and implemented this uh, training was Robin DiAngelo, who is the author of this book, White Fragility, that became so popular uh, last year or the year before, whenever it came out. It's it's a real issue in our culture, you know, um, that we need to deal with because at the end of the day, I believe it was Andrew Breitbart who, who made famous the quote, politics is downstream of culture. And it's absolutely true. So all of this stuff that we're seeing in our corporations, in our media, obsessing over race and grievance and obsessing over making white people and America the enemy, that's going to filter down into our politics. And it already is filtering down into our politics and something needs to be done about it. It has to be stopped. Well, you know, I can only speak for me. You can only speak for you. 
Uh, but to me, those words still ring true, and I still look at people and, and I base my decisions on them based on the content of their character, certainly not the color of their skin. Uh, but it just makes me wonder. Remember we were talking about um, the New York Times basically saying that we needed reality police, you know, that uh, people right. who could judge facts and say what, you know, what the truth is. The, the truth czar is what they were recommending. Well, right next door in the executive uh, West Wing to the truth czar, uh, maybe they'll set up the PCs are <laughs> okay. <laughs> or are they kind of the same thing? Cause I mean, we talked about this before. I don't think when they say truth, I don't think that means truth. Yeah. Well, and PC, who knows what in the heck that means. Um, we did have a reversal last week and I kind of made fun of this. And, you know, one of my friends who leans to the left, when I put this up, he said, you know, does this really affect your life anyway? And it really doesn't. I was just like poking fun at it because that's what I do on the radio show. Um, but here, you know, we can talk about it a little more in depth. And that is the very serious subject of Mr. Potato Head being emasculated. Very serious subject. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're finally getting to this. You know, this is the stuff that really matters, Dale. Well, it is the <laughs> stuff that matters. Uh, and now Hasbro, which, you know, maybe we'll talk about that next week when we're talking about the, the ridiculous conclusion of all this PC stuff. Maybe Hasbro should not be called Hasbro. <laughs> Because it's got the word bro. Uh, I didn't even think about See? that. <laughs> you got to think about everything and get it to its most ridiculous. It's so hard, though. Logical conclusion. <laughs> My brain hurts. Mr. Potato Head apparently is coming back. Hasbro has taken a lot of backlash on that. And so Mr. Potato Head, Don Rickles, who played Mr. Potato Head in the Toy Story movies, right. can rest well in his grave knowing that there will be a Mr. Potato Head moving forward. Well, it's like that clip. You've seen the movie, right? Toy Story? The original? Have you seen it? Of course I have. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know that scene where uh, right when uh, Woody hits Buzz out of the window and everyone's angry at him and he turns and he's like, Wait a minute. You you don't think I meant to knock Buzz out the window, do you, Potato Head? That's Mr. Potato Head to you, you backstabbing murderer. It's like, that's we got to get happened. that drop. That is perfect. <laughs> I'd forgotten about that because, you know, um, it's been a while since I've seen Toy Story. But, there, you know, you can you could look, if you really try hard enough, you can find something to offend yourself every day. Or you can just wake up and say, I'm going to be happy. God has blessed me with another day. I'm going to get out and I'm going to enjoy my life. Yeah, offense is taken, not given. And I think that if we can learn anything from all of this, whether it be the the Coke, be less white situation or Mr. Potato Head, you know, I think people get their rocks off by this. You know, there's there's a, a level of dopamine and level of entitlement that people get by being offended because they get attention. They see that, oh, if I just say that this is offensive and I get, you know, I cause an uproar about this, people mm -hmm. are going to pay attention to me and tell me, you know, that I'm, I'm, you know, a victim and everything, you know, is going to be fine as long as we take Mr. out of Mr. Potato Head. Well, and then, of course, you know, if we get close to lunch today, we were going to have manwiches around the uh, station, but apparently we can't have a manwich <laughs> because we've got to take that out. It's just going to, from now on, that I'm giving you a little tease of what next week's podcast is going to uh, be all about. I have all, a feeling this is going to, next, the next week is going to be a fun one. Oh, it'll be a lot of fun. <laughs> and that's what it's all about. It's all about fun. You know, if, you, if your blood pressure goes up, just take a chill pill. Everything's going to be fine. Uh, we do have a special guest today, though, and I think we should get right to that. 
We are talking to Daryl Smith with Hero Fund USA. Now, Hero Fund USA sounds like a national organization, but it's actually a local organization based in Blue Springs, Missouri. And uh, Daryl, I'll never forget when you and I met the first time, uh, it was at a city council meeting in Blue Springs. Why don't you talk about the background of Hero Fund USA and, and what it is you're doing for those first responder families and agencies? Well, I'll start at the beginning. We just celebrated our four-year anniversary on December 26th of last year. And so this is our fifth year, and we think it's already shaping up to be kind of a pivotal year for us. The history of our organization is I have a background in fundraising after a 30-plus year career with the Muscular Dystrophy Association. And when I retired from there, in 2014, I swore I'd never do fundraising again. And you know the old saying, never say never. I understand. About two years after I retired, I got a call one day from some old longtime MDA supporter friends of ours that used to do a big golf tournament for MDA for 25 years plus, and they wanted to visit with me. They wanted to hire me to do a new golf tournament, run a new golf tournament for them to raise money, to have it available the next time there was a first responder, line of duty, death, or critical injury. And I said, well, I don't want your money, but I'd be happy to meet with you to see what it is you want to do and how I might be able to help. And so we met, and from that initial meeting, Hero Fund USA came to be uh, because we just didn't see an organization out there that was really doing what we wanted to do. And our priorities somewhat shifted from the initial meetings and conversations we had while we still do to provide uh, support to the families of first responders in the immediate aftermath of a line of duty death or critical injury our primary mission is to provide funding for safety equipment to help keep them from getting hurt or worse in the first place and so our primary mission is that is to provide funding for safety equipment and to also be there in the immediate aftermath of a line-of-duty death or critical injury to provide some immediate financial support to the family of that first responder in their, in their time of need. Well, you know, when, when you, I heard you talking about Hero Fund at that city council meeting, my first thought was this lines up perfectly with what we do at KFKF. Uh, because, you know, first responders, that's one of our primary missions. You get beyond St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, kids with cancer, and then, you know, protecting those who protect us uh, is next in line for us. And Hero Fund taking care of those, like you say, in the line of duty deaths or critical injuries or providing equipment for those agencies that their own tax base can't get for them. Let's start with that. Uh, I know there are some great stories you have because you're based in Blue Springs, but you handle agencies on both sides of the state line. What are some of the highlights of things Hero Fund has raised money for uh, for these agencies in Kansas and Missouri? Well, it's a good question, Dale. And in our first four years in existence, we uh, have provided immediate funding for 20 first responder families in the immediate aftermath of a line of duty death, 17 deaths, and three critical injuries. And and so, and then we've also provided funding for safety equipment for 30 first responder departments and agencies throughout Missouri and Kansas. And, and the safety equipment runs the spectrum from low-tech stuff like uh, personal protection equipment, like bunker gear for firefighters, 
ballistic vests and helmets for for law enforcement officers and and firefighters, frankly, because fire departments are requesting body armor now too because they're showing up at an accident scene or a fire scene, and they're getting shot at too. Yeah, they are. And so, police departments, fire departments, and and even ambulance uh, uh, emergency medical services personnel want body armor now because they're they're all in harm's way. Uh, through threats you would have never even thought about a few years ago. And and so that that leads into the higher tech realm of things we provide, like thermal imaging cameras and detection meters that will detect flammable gases in a building or around a building that before the first responders go in, they know what the hazard is if there's any kind of a noxious gas in there or flammable gas in the air that can explode when they're going in there. And the real high-tech thing, the, as I say, the shiny object in the room these days seems to be drones. We have, in the past two and a half years, provided funding for seven drones for various police departments and fire departments in and around the greater Kansas City metro area. Well, it's a great organization. And I know that in the news we find out about these first responder deaths, and we're going to talk about one of those and an event that you've got coming up quickly on the calendar but when uh, ha, walk me through how you get a request. Let's say an agency wants a drone, for instance. How are they reaching out to you? Through our website primarily and, and through social media, we, we advertise uh, our, our programs on, on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and, and, uh, and also through things like this and through, through the things you've done for us on the radio and uh, KCTV Channel 5 is a good media partner with us. Sure. And in the immediate aftermath of our inaugural first responder safety telethon on, on Channel 5, we got an influx of requests. And But it's through our website. There is a tab on our website that says services, and you click on that, and there's a sub-tab there that says request services or request support. And it takes three to five minutes to fill out the initial request form there, and then we immediately follow up as soon as that hits our email in, email inbox, and and we we go through a process. We have a mission committee that helps us vet the request to make sure that it hits the criteria for what we want to do. We want it to be first responder safety equipment, and it and and we are a fifty fifty match. We ask the requesting department to come up with half of the money, and then we'll match it with the other half of the money. And so, in fact, just earlier this week, Dale, I got a request from a, a, a small city police department in Missouri requesting a very needed item. It's uh, the, the safety partition between the front and back seat of a patrol car mm. so that when they have a suspect in the back seat of their car, they can't get to the first responder, in this case, police officer, driving the vehicle. Mm. Uh, and so we got that request, and I immediately called and asked a few questions and forwarded that request to our mission committee, which is comprised of folks in law enforcement, fire service, uh, emergency medical services, and we actually have a chaplain on our mission committee, and then myself. And we unanimously are recommending that to our board at our quarterly board meeting that we provide the our 50% of the funding for these mm-hmm. two partitions for these two new patrol cars for this police department. They have the funding for the cars, but not for the yeah. the partitions that go in the car. So our board will vote on this next month at our quarterly board meeting. And then 
Thank the good Lord we're in a position right now these days where if the board approves it next month at the board meeting, I can go back to the office, we can write the check, and we can help that department have the equipment to keep them safe. We're going to get into fundraising here just a little bit, but you just took me back to my own childhood. I think I've told you my stepfather was a policeman in Evansville, Indiana, so I grew up there, and uh, for a time we had a take-home car. You know, that was a uh, policy they had at that time uh, to basically get a bigger police presence out on the road, give a spiff to some of the guys that they had a car they could take home, but they had to go on so many runs per month in order to keep that car. And it had that partition. It had like the plexiglass. I think it's bulletproof. I'm not sure. Uh, but that was, and you know, my brother and I would get in the back seat of that car and, and you can't get out of those police cars. So it was our own little trap there. Um, but you know, that car, was actually demolished in a uh, an accident. My stepfather worked third shift on that police department, and on a snowy night, they were driving down a main thoroughfare, and somebody hopped up on drugs and alcohol and everything else, came flying down a side street, and he took that car out. He T-boned it. So I, I lived that as a child, not knowing whether the police officer who was the head of our family was going to come home or not. And, and that night, it certainly was a wake-up call when he was injured in that car accident. His partner uh, had a shattered pelvis and was in the hospital for nearly a month uh, to try and correct all that. You know, every year uh, in Blue Springs, and I know it happens in other places as well, in May, they have the uh, Police Officers Memorial Day. It's something that I rarely miss. And they go through the names of all the officers um, not just police officers, um, uh, border agents and TSA agents and, and other, other law enforcement of different kinds, not just police officers, who have been killed in the line of duty in the past year. It's, it's a list that is longer than we ever hope it would be. We would hope there would be none on that list, and yet there is a long list every year. And we've had our share of it here in the Kansas City Metro. Yes, unfortunately we have. Uh, in the four-year first four-year history of Hero Fund USA. Uh, the first year we were in existence, 2017, we provided funding for two line-of-duty deaths. A, a Mayview, Missouri firefighter died in the line of duty, and a Clinton, Missouri police officer was shot and killed in the line of duty. Also that same year, another firefighter in Mayview, Missouri, was critically injured, and we were there to help those families. In 2018, we had no critical injuries that we provided funding for, but four uh, line-of-duty deaths we provided funding for, only one in 2019, and then 2020 comes along, and there Brutal was, year. in Missouri and Kansas, there were 11 line-of-duty, actually, there were 10 line-of-duty deaths and one line-of-duty critical injury, and uh, think about what first responders do they run toward the danger when everybody else, myself included, want to get as far away from it as you can. If you've ever been on a fire scene, it can the ambient temperature at close to a fire scene can be up around 1,200 degrees Fahrenheit. If you've ever been in a police car when they've been involved in a traffic stop, there's no such thing as a routine traffic stop. Every time they get out of their car, every time they pull a car over, a, a, a law enforcement officer has to be ready for the worst case scenario. And they are, you know, and like any organization, you know, there are going to be bad apples in any organization. But I think by and large, I would put the number 
in the 99th percentile uh, of the guys and gals who are out there protecting us and keeping us free on the home front. They're all stellar human beings, stellar citizens, and uh, your organization, Hero Fund USA, which, by the way, we haven't gotten out the website yet. It is herofundusa.org. Check them out and, and do what you can, uh, because I know that, that you're spending a lot of money, both in the first responder deaths and critical injuries uh, and also in the, the equipment that you're providing. I want you to tell me about Mike Mosier, because we're talking about him quite a bit on the air with the uh, first annual Mike Mosier Marksmanship Tournament, which is coming up later next month. We'll talk about the tournament and how folks can get involved. Tell me about Mike. Mike was a decorated officer with the Overland Park Police Department. He unfortunately died in the line of duty on May 3rd last year. He was actually on his way to work. He was in uniform on his way for his shift and he witnessed a hit-and-run traffic accident, and he was able to stop the, the suspect a few blocks later. The suspect got out of his car and, and unfortunately drew a gun, and Officer Mosier was able to shoot and kill the suspect, but in the process he himself was shot and killed by the suspect. Uh, Mosier was very highly thought of by his department, by anyone who knew him. This guy was, he was the real deal. He was, his, he was living his dream. He, he wanted to be a law enforcement officer from the time he was a small child. His father was a police officer also. And so we wanted to do something to honor Mike Mosier's service to his community, his dedication to his profession. And we had the idea of starting this, uh, event, this Mike Mosher Memorial Marksmanship Tournament. There's a lot of M's in that. And and so we approached Frontier Justice, and it turns out that Mike's father, Scott Mosher, is the lead instructor at Frontier Justice in Lee's Summit. And I want to give a, a shout-out to Frontier Justice. They are letting us use their facility at no cost to do this event and have been very, the owners, uh, Bren Brown and her team, have been very supportive of us on this event. Scott Mosher, Mike's dad, who is the lead instructor at their Lee Summit facility, has just been a prince of a guy, uh, a great resource. And uh, the event is coming together very well. And thanks to you guys and the promotions that you're running on KFKF, we're picking up uh, a few teams every day that are registering for the event. Now, um, how many people are on a team? It's a three-person three team. Person. Okay. It's $100 for a three-person team, or it's $50 for an individual shooter. And we have uh, we have classes of shooting. It's a three-person team competition. It's an individual top shot competition. And we also have a 22 shooting competition mm-hmm. for, for women and children. They can participate with smaller caliber, 22 caliber handguns well, you in know, the event. The guy who helps me with this, Kurt Wheeler, who you just met, um, he considers himself an excellent shot. Um, so maybe Dale Carter's America, you know, the podcast could have a team in this deal. He, he asked me if I wanted to play with him. Um, I, you know, when I was a kid, I had a 22 rifle and all that. And I, I, I've shot at frontier justice before too, but I, I think I'd weigh the team down. So we need, we need two more people on our team, right? Are, it, are you one? Uh, not, not, not me. <laughs> I, I own guns, uh, for, for personal protection sure. purposes, yeah. but I'm not a competitive shooter of any sort. It's going to be a fun event. I tell you, Scott actually is writing the program that the shooters will be participating in, and 
the targets go out a certain distance, turn, you shoot. They go out a little further, you, they turn, you shoot. Mm-hmm. And it's a 25-round shoot. There's one mandatory reload during the shoot. It's a timed event. Should be just a lot of fun. And uh, no safety concerns whatsoever. Frontier Justice really does a fantastic job with their their, their shooting lanes and the safety precautions and it's uh, it's just a fun event. It, 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 we're really looking forward to it, really excited about it. It's March 24th and 25th. Participants that sign up can choose their time to shoot. They can shoot any time. Uh, I think it's 8 a.m., uh, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. on the 24th and 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. on the 25th. They go in any time that works for them as a team or as an individual, and they shoot their 25 rounds. Everything is scored, and all the prizes are going to be awarded on uh, Thursday the 25th between 6 and 8 p.m. Well, that is certainly one of your fundraising uh, opportunities throughout the year. You do try and keep it fun. You've got a lot of fun events throughout the year to raise money for Hero Fund USA, which you can read all about on the website, herofundusa.org. You can get involved as well. I know we talked about that a little bit, of signing people up on a monthly level so that every month they're contributing something to this wonderful organization. And uh, you've done like the hats and the T-shirts. Is that still something you're doing? Yes. Anybody that wants to help support first responder safety through the mission of Hero Fund USA, you can go to our website. You can sign up to be a monthly donor for for $19 a month. You get your choice of a Hero Fund USA custom hat or long sleeve T-shirt. And it's we've got several ways you can sign up. You can go to our website, herofundusa.org. Uh, and you can sign up through our you, you can click on the tab that says support the cause you can sign up for a one time or a monthly recurring donation you can also text the word hero fund to 44321 it'll give you the same options there to sign up for a one time donation or a monthly recurring gift to hero fund USA and also we're doing other things too like on the on the Mosher event there is a QR code on all the promotional materials Scan that with your smartphone. You can donate. You can sign up for the event right through your phone. Cool. So teams are coming together. You said you're getting a couple of new teams every day. Yeah, we're getting uh, we're getting a couple of new teams every day. I can almost always tell when you run the promo on KFKF <laughs> because we get a Good. phone we get a phone call or a uh, when somebody registers it sends it sends an email to my inbox. And I can almost tell when you're on the promo because I get more activity on the event every time you do. Well, good. That means radio works, and hopefully the podcast is going to work as well for folks who listen through the whole thing. Um, Talk about maybe in in highlight form some of the other things that are coming up throughout the year that they can get a deeper dive on the website. Again, we're we're a very small, organically grown organization based in Blue Springs, Missouri. In fact, uh, the world headquarters, as we say, of Hero Fund USA is in Blue Springs, Missouri, right along the Interstate 70 on the South Outer Road. And you're talking to 50% of our staff for Hero Fund USA. And we have a part-time office manager that takes care of our accounting and book work and our tax filings and things like that to keep us. Uh, and we are 501c3 tax right. exempt, by the way. I should always mention that. But so, and we raise our money the old-fashioned way, a dollar at a time. And this this Mike Mosher Memorial Marksmanship Tournament is a new event for us. But we've got shortly after that coming up in April, we've got our fourth annual Strike Force Bowling event at Lunar Bowl in Blue Springs. There's no cost to participate. We ask everybody to take a collection kit and try to collect some sponsorship donations for the event. 
And then in uh, in June, we will have our fifth annual, our flagship event, our fifth annual uh, Hero Fund USA Golfing Four Heroes uh, Golf Tournament at Shoal Creek near Liberty. And then another new event for us, uh, Noe Palma yep. and Tate Stevens are doing a benefit country music concert for us at Headlights. We were going to do that event last November, but this little thing called COVID came along and we had to postpone that. It's now rescheduled for August 7th, which is a Saturday at Headlights, just north of downtown Kansas City. It'll be featuring Noe and Tate singing, just doing an acoustic jam session, if you will. It's $10 in advance or at the door. It's going to be a fun event. We have our third annual First Responder Safety Telethon with KCTV, hopefully with you uh, in front of a camera and so everybody can see your shining face. I don't think anybody needs to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe I could be in the background with just a voice. But uh, but we're we're, we're thrilled to have KFKF support and Steel City Media's support and, of course, the good folks at KCTV five uh, for all their support It'll be our third annual hard to believe it's already our third annual telethon we locked in on 9-11 for the event but since 9-11 is on a saturday this year we're going we're going to do our telethon on friday the 10th so september 10th on kctv all day and all their local news broadcast mm-hmm. they'll be featuring the mission of hero fund usa and encouraging viewers to to make a donation 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming up you believe that yeah it's we crazy we we think there will be increased interest and attention toward first responder safety, given that it commemorates, as you said, the 20th year uh, after what happened on 9-11-2001, and we lost more first responders in, in one day than in any given day in the history of the United States of America on that tragic day. Mm. And it's also the, this is our, our fifth anniversary year as an organization, and we're going to be offering some very special commemorative gifts to donors that make a gift of a certain level, and uh, it's just going to be a special day for us. Well, it's a wonderful organization. It's based, as you said, in Blue Springs, Missouri. Right now, you're limited to local areas, Missouri and Kansas, but there may come a time when this thing goes national because uh, you know, backing our first responders is not just a Missouri and Kansas thing. It's an American thing. You know, Dale, and that's a good point. In the last three years, really, since we started our telethon, and frankly, since you started promoting us pretty heavily on 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 KFKF, we've received twenty some requests from seventeen states outside of Missouri and Kansas. And we would love to be able to provide the, that level of safety to first responders nationwide. And in fact, just yesterday. Uh, our two staff people, myself and our office administrator, had a meeting with a company that has a, if not a national presence, they have a presence in 17 states throughout the United States. It's a company based in Southern California, and they are very interested in helping us become a nationwide organization sooner rather than later. So we're building a business model of what that would look like, what we would need to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with just myself and one other part-time person, and we're both part-time, we, we can't do it ourselves, But right. so we'd have to build a little different infrastructure than yeah. what we have right now today. But I think, I if I had to guess, I'd say within the next one to two years, we will be truly Hero Fund USA providing funding for safety equipment and support to first responder families 
in all 50 states. All right. Well, that's Hero Fund USA. He's Daryl Smith, the guy behind it. Uh, we've talked about a lot of things in terms of fundraising, fun events, how you can get involved, and, of course, the mission, which is protecting our first responders, police, firefighters, EMTs, and all that. Um, sometimes on the podcast, Daryl, we will wrap the thing up with a song, and I've got the perfect song to play out of this. Uh, it's George Strait's The Weight of the Badge, because anytime these guys and gals go out, they're carrying the weight of the badge, their families carrying the weight of the badge. It's a terrific song. I thank you so much for stopping by and, and look forward to our continued partnership. Thank you, Dale, and God bless you. It's going to be a long one, another graveyard shift. As he says goodbye to his wife and kids. Been his life just like his dad's, driving away under the weight of the badge. He's seen it all in his 15 years, watching our backs, facing our fears. Lord knows it ain't no easy task. Keeping us safe under the weight of the badge He swore that oath to protect and serve Pours his heart and soul into both those words He lays his life on the line And the line he walks is razor fast Tempered strength is always tough But he ain't gonna buckle under the weight of the badge Not that long ago he woke up in the hospital With his wife and kids praying by his bed He said, I'm gonna be alright, there's just some time the truth is nothing truer could be said I do it for us And I do it for them And I ain't gonna buckle Under the weight of the past
expressed on Dale Carter's America are Dale's and Kurt Wheeler's. They do not necessarily reflect the views of KFKF or Steel City Media. Comments can be sent to dalec at kfkf.com. Thanks for listening. Check back every week for new episodes.